Today is a showdown between Caged and Hendrix. Caged is a way of understanding the guitar fretboard and then Hendrix, an iconic guitar player. Who would have thought these two could be in the same sentence? And I guess by the end of it, Carl, you're going to try and convince me that we can use the Cage system to understand and decode Jimi Hendrix's playing. Yeah, so I really don't know, Carl. Like the Cage system, it's not very really musical. Um, it's very visual, yes, but when I think of Hendrix, I think of um, tone, I think of musicality, I think of genius. Those aren't necessarily the things I think about when it comes to the cage system. So how did how did you arrive at this meeting of these two, in my mind, opposite entities in music? That's a great question, and that's exactly what we've set out to do here. So I think, first of all, the caged learning pathway that we, you know, our, our caged learning pathway at Pickup has helped hundreds and hundreds of guitar players visualize the fretboard, unlock the fretboard, however you want to put it. Specifically, the cage system really helps with triads and any player that has their playing is, is playing like triad based music. We can really decode uh, and sort of analyze through the lens of the cage system. You know, people like Hendrix, people like uh, John Mayer, people like Matteo Sasato, all those. And that's kind of a lineage too. Like when you hear mm -hmm. their playing, you hear that Hendrix and influence in there. Just a button there. Even the word triad, I'm skeptical on that. You're telling me Jimi Hendrix and Matteo Sassato are using a triad, something that... Oh, they're the triad masters. Oh, wow. They are the triad masters, believe it or not. And you know, the cage system wasn't even, it wasn't even a way of teaching guitar yet, right? When he was around. It didn't, it didn't exist even until, uh, you know, a few years after his death. So he wasn't he wasn't thinking in terms of the cage system, but I would argue that he was thinking in the spirit of the cage system because, again, it's very triad-based, and when you hear something like, okay, oh, yeah, that sounds like a Hendrix riff. And that sounds like a pentatonic riff. But if you really look at the underlying harmony and like the pentatonic scales that are within the, the cage shapes, then it really starts to make sense. Um, and that's what we did with the masterclass that we just did. And that's what we're going to talk about today too. What are the two big takeaways that you walked away from uh, with this project? There's first of all, there's the caged related takeaway, which is that in the process of doing this, like reverse engineering an artist like this, it really helps me and I think other people hopefully understand the, the approach of the player as a tool rather than just a lick or a riff or, you know, it, that with exists within the song. Mm. So, you know, all of these different exercises that we do in the masterclass, um, we try them in different keys. Um, we try them, you know, on different string sets and that, cause Hendrix did that too. A lot of the stuff that he did was, um, you know, he would play it in different positions in various mm. songs. So I think, you know, as I've been kind of a detective here, like, mm. <laughs> um, you know, my, my hypothesis is that he was, that's why I say he played in the spirit of the cage system because he could, he had that freedom to do these kind of wherever, um, and they were tools to him, you know? And so that's kind of the, the benefit here. Um, it's really interesting that he uses same, uh, harmonic or melodic ideas or like riffs, you call them riffs. Did he use them in different like parts on the guitar, different octaves, different keys? Yes. And let me give you an, a good example would be all of the kind of sus four stuff that we hear a lot in Hendrix, like, like that kind of stuff he would do. 
of that, it's it's all C sus to C major, right? And I just demonstrated it in you know the five different positions. So um, and that wasn't again that wasn't note for note, but that's kind of the gist, right? So what I'm hearing is that like he obviously didn't know cage, but he knew how to play this the same idea in different positions. And us as caged students of the cage, we can kind of get a head start if we learn something in position D, the D shape, then are you saying we could then easily kind of see where it fits all across the fretboard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's, you know, in just learning the cage system and just even taking the, the caged learning pathway, you know, it takes a while to even just visualize it, right? So this kind of like, this is like high level cage stuff here. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight, um, but that's why we created this class, I think, is to start applying these concepts to uh, through the cage system. Um, and so, you know, it's just another way of, of visualizing it. As an exercise, um, what about if, like, were there certain positions within Caged where you found Hendrix kind of lived or, or certain sounds that we all know? Like, I, I don't know if a few come to mind. Yeah, so in the course, we, I started from the most common to the least common. So the E shape, um, you, we start out with something like this. Right, so that, that's from um, the intro to Little Wing. He plays that riff. And uh, it's very much based on a G, uh, a G chord in an E shape, like just a G bar chord. But of course, he's got the uh, the thumb happening, which is mm, which thumb. is yeah. which is how he uh, you know hits all those toggle notes that we call. But that that E shape actually is a great place to start talking about um, his technique because you know that was another big takeaway. Like I've learned quite a few Hendrix songs in the past and. You know, I'm, I've always been a lifelong fan. Like my dad introduced me to Hendrix when I was in high school and, you know, it was just like, you know, of course it's so cliche. Right. But I loved it. Um, but in the course of doing this, like, uh, look, watching tons of YouTube videos and, you know, reading books and looking at, um, interviews and stuff. And, you know, there, there's some interesting things that I didn't really, uh, know or really try to apply um, until, you know, recently. So the first is like with his fretting hand, like, of course he used his thumb. Like we all know that. Um, but like to really get the technique, I had to like, I was like, okay, well I'm going to just concentrate on making my hand look like Hendrix. And it's like kind of an obvious thing, but that really helps. And so in the process of doing that, you know, um, he's got this, like his, he's got the thumb, but his, the back of his hand is like completely cupping the the neck so there's like no space back there between the back of the neck and and my hand um when he's doing certain moves at least you know um so something you know something like that um and other times he would take it off a little bit but look look at this like <laughs> that's not what, like if you're li just listening on the podcast that's not what we in jazz or even metal or or classical yeah. would call correct technique yes very good very exactly like you know forget about this little like classical technique with your thumb down here in the middle of the fretboard in the back and your curved <laughs> fingers so you know i don't even know if calling it flat fingers is like the uh, uh, correct terminology, but that's kind of what it looks like to me. Like he kind of plays with flat fingers a lot of the time. Like they're kind of curved there, but by flat you mean it's you. 
it's not tips like like it's, yeah. when we always talk to our beginners we're like tips 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 the finger yep. points the text right bit. but forget his that. fingers are like a <laughs> it's like a slap he's slapping the fretboard yes yes yeah so um so that okay so those were takeaways for the for the fretting hand right now for his strumming hand and and this was like a combination of reading and and you know um interviews and stuff you know apparently he would just play like insanely loud so um a very loud amp but then a very relaxed light touch and because if your amp is cranked you can get a lot of different dynamics with your just your hands and manipulating your volume uh, on on your guitar so you know so that was that was something that was kind of new to me because when you think of hendrix you think of insane solos and energy and all this stuff but like he was still loose and like flowing you know like just kind of dancing across the strings so um yeah. And then, you know, another thing with the strumming hand would be like, um, to vary the position. Mm. So he would play, um, like, so for example, like, um, so he'd play way up by the neck to get a nice soft sound. And then he would play by the bridge, which is, you know, a lot of people do that. It's not anything crazy, but, uh, yeah. And then his, this is kind of right hand too, or, you know, strumming hand for him, left hand, <laughs> um, is varying his swing feel, you know, like hmm. when we get to like, say this part of, uh, the wind cries Mary, um, like the, he didn't go, he was, he was playing it straight, but the rest of the song he's playing swung. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of this like, like, uh, swagger to his music you know like it had this like swaggery backbeat that he would swing so it didn't sound cheesy like jazz swung or anything but um but then he would go from that into a straight feel and that's like just what you know sounds really really cool to my ear when i see you break it down like that like as a uh, music fan you might just listen to jimmy Hendrix and think oh that sounds great but when you break down each of those components it makes me realize that he is his kind of spectrum of sound and the gears in his car, he just has like 10 times as many as us <laughs> guitar players. Like even when you were demoing with your your right hand there, just moving back and forward, you know, sometimes I'll just play guitar and it'll just be locked in one position, but I'm missing out on all of that tonality. He's doing that within each phrase. And that's just one of many parts which you explored. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. Like gears, gears in his in his car, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so, so none of that stuff that we just talked about was caged, right? Like that was just, that was just his, his approach. Um, and so, you know, in one way, of course, can we decode Hendrix? Like, no, not, not in, in a, in a, in every aspect. Right. But if we do start to really break down some of these shapes and maybe that's something we could do next. Let's get into it. Okay, cool. So, you know, it starts out with this kind of iconic ominous, um, power chord with a fifth in the bass okay and then it goes into so we've already covered two shapes there so the first one we've we're drawing from this power chord in a shape okay but we're just playing that that section of it and then when we do this we're really playing uh the same chord but now we're playing it from a different shape. So instead of the A shape, E flat, E, F, we're playing it E flat, E, F, but he's hammering on 
into the third right there of the G shape of the of those chords, you know? So so he's combining those two shapes right there. Instant cage. Play the same chord in different in two different positions. Exactly. It, so then we get into like the let me change my pickup here. Okay, so let's just look at that. So he was up here, he did a little pentatonic riff, still in that G shape. But check it out. Then the next time around, he, in, he's singing at this time, right? The chord of the songs always stay the same, but the way he plays them, even between the intro and the verse will change. Yes, exactly. And, and why is that? Is it to access different sounds? Like, why do you think he didn't just oh do the same God. thing? That's a good question. I, I, you know, <laughs> who knows? I suspect a lot of it had to do with maybe because if he, if he workshopped these songs live, um, then it might have been, it was easier to sing and play at certain times, mm -hmm. you know? So if he's... After all the tracks... Box. No, I can't really do it, but like it's a good point that it's in the context of the band, right? He wasn't writing a solo guitar piece, so he's probably thinking about the the contour of the song and and how, and maybe he just wanted to keep it interesting. It, exactly, I think it's it's probably a lot. Of, it's probably all of those, if not at least some, you know. And and he was such an inventive uh, rhythm player that he he would never have been satisfied with just doing it the same way as a as a backing, uh, you know, behind his vocal. So far, we've covered A shape, we've covered G shape, and E shape. So then we've got... Um, which, yeah, so we, again, with this move, we, we're at an E shape here. But he's doing that hammer-on now onto the sixth of the chord. I, I just stuck you there. The things which I'm noticing so far is he loves the E shape, He's yeah. adding the, was it the ninth, the sixth, the fourth, yeah. all of these notes around the triad with hammer-ons and, and, and things. And I think on the F, there was even an open string going, was, was it Yes. There? And then yeah. all, yeah. is it always thumb on the, on the root for those? Yes. For that for, bar, for E shape, shape always thumb. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, so those are, that, that was three of five shapes, right? Um, now, if we move on to uh, the other two shapes, now I will say C and C. He does do. Uh, he does have some examples. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, like um, you know, it's kind of equivalent to the G shape in a lot of ways. You know, like all the stuff that he mm -hmm. would do in G shape. You know, it's you have to account for the B string when you get up there, but. Um, but yeah, he would, he would, he would hang out in C shape every once in a while. Like, um, in particular, there's, uh, the intro to, uh, Castles Made of Sand where he goes like this. He combines the G, he's sliding into kind of the D position and then, and then he's landing into the C shape. So he's just playing G, G chords. And that's all over G, you know? Uh, there's the G that, there. That's interesting. In the C shape, it doesn't scream to me as much like... Sorry, this C is, shape, yeah. C shape's not saying this is an iconic Hendrix thing compared to like that G shape walk-up thing. But it is interesting, on the other hand, to know that he's still, you know, he doesn't avoid it. It's not a black hole on his guitar. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and that leaves us with the D shape. We haven't covered that because... <laughs> 
<laughs> I think the D shape is just kind of for lead playing and a lot of lower register stuff. It's it kind of falls short, you know, in terms of being helpful. Mm. Um, but so, like, uh, let's say for an, for example, there's a song called "Wait Until Tomorrow," mm. where the verse starts. Uh, it, it sounds something like this, like. Um, <laughs> something like that so okay i'm playing an a chord in e shape he does that he's doing all that kind of stuff and i'm right there up there in d shape so that one it's kind of a stretch because like we're playing it over this chord yeah it seems because you're barring there so it's almost like you do it's like a minor minory sound like a dorian sound but it's over the five so yeah it's over the five i mean it's basically all still a major you know yeah. it's like a five sus so it's five. like a soft sus right. but i guess the neat thing about the d shape is you can keep that first finger there uh barred and then add those uh those things there from the d shape yeah, yeah which is really cool like i i recognize that uh line there from the song as well so that's that kind of covers all the the major cage shapes now, of the minor cage shapes, uh, there's there's two there's there's two shapes that he favored, and that would be like the E minor shape. Mm. So if we take the intro to Little Wing, something like um, right, stuff like that. Mm. So I mean, of course, he would he would, um, and I think he even did that with his thumb, but I can't do it. I can't do the minor shapes like that. Um, so. You know, and that's pretty straightforward. Like a lot of people do that. But he would also do things like, um, you know, like barring. Uh, he, you know, he played in a lot of like R and B bands, and um, he played with like Little Richard and, um, um, you know, some other like early R and B bands before he went out on his own. So he was playing a lot of like, like old school, you know, R and B. So all those kind of things that you know a lot of us neo soul fans or whatever play now i think we could in a way kind of he he was very in tune with a lot of that stuff and that's i see that's like an a minor shape is it yeah yeah a minor right so e minor and a minor sorry yeah those are the big two that he would use that and in both of, of those use. it looks like but you're utilizing the bar in both the e minor and a minor and then kind of adding yeah. that enables you to add on those hammer-ons and pull-offs yes all right so sam let me ask you have i convinced you do you think that we can decode hendrix using the cage system I guess the short answer, yes, but then also no. It was really interesting hearing everything. And it's almost like the two sides of the spectrum, like in terms of musicality and like a system. But I can see how a lot of the language that of Hendrix can be used, particularly the rhythm plane, I think, which is probably why you focused on that in the class. Not so much the chords. Yeah. Um, we didn't really talk too much about soloing, actually. Even just seeing how he prioritizes shapes, that was really interesting to me, like deep, lowest priority. Um, yeah. And then also getting into minor, how you highlighted e minor, and, e minor and A minor, because us as guitarists, we have those comfortable spots around the neck. So hearing that someone as amazing as Hendrix prioritized a few of those shapes kind of sure. makes me feel a bit better about not, not feeling super comfortable in something like the D position. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think... You know, when I first started out with this, it was almost a question for myself too. Like, can we actually do this? Can we, you know, are we, are we 
doing a round hole square peg thing here. Um, but I think, yes, you know, you can with a big asterisk there, you know, that, that's saying for Hendrix's triad based rhythm playing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give to someone? Is this class for someone who knows caged, who wants to apply it? Or is it for a fan of Hendrix who wants an easier way to understand his playing? Well, I would say it's an intermediate to advanced level course. You know, there's 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 that first of all. So you have to have a certain amount of facility down. Um, if you've taken, you know, even just the first couple grades of the um, cage learning pathway, then I think you'll be in a really good place. Or if you're already just a you know really experienced guitar player and you know nothing about cage, this would be a great crash course intro to the cage system. So like if you know it, like Little Wing, I think most guitarists, that's kind of like trial by fire. So let's say I knew that somewhat, would this help me kind of see how it relates to Cage? And what, yes. is, the, what is the point of that? Totally. To answer your first question, yes. Um, what is the point? I think it goes back to one of my first takeaways, which is in the process of doing this, you know, these have become tools. They're not just licks. And that's kind of the whole that's one of the whole things that we wanted to do with this course was provide people with, um, with tools so that you can inject his playing into your, into your sound and you, you have them as devices and not just singular licks. I think you, I'm now convinced I'm leaning more. Yes. Because, <laughs> yes. because I think it's as simple as, you know, not everyone's like playing like Jimi Hendrix songs. Like you could be a Jimi Hendrix impersonator or, or, you know, maybe that's your thing, but most, <laughs> most of us are doing more modern styles of music. Yeah. So if you are giving me the tool to be influenced by Jimi Hendrix and, and apply it on my, I don't know, a few ideas, my lo-fi beat, my prog yeah. song, my more modern rock song, my 1975 song, but I can have that Jimi Hendrix essence through that, then, that's that's an enticing um, idea. So if you're interested in checking out uh, this program, we have a 14-day free trial on Pickup Music, which is plenty of time to get through this entire masterclass. Uh, so pickupmusic.com is, is where it's at. And then lastly, uh, we really appreciate everyone listening along to the pod. And if you have time to share it with a friend, we appreciate that. Or follow us on Apple Podcasts or even leave a review. Anything helps. And uh, we appreciate you listening along every week. Thanks for listening, everybody.